welcome back to The Good Medicine Show. My name is Jessica, and today's guest is really special to me, so much so that I've flopped this intro many times. So here we go. Jamie Lynn Glode is an artist based out of Nova Scotia, Halifax. She has worked in a bunch of different mediums, but currently she's delving into ceramics, and it is so cool to watch what she is creating. So I encourage you to check out Jamie Lynn's Instagram, see what she's been making. She's got a personal page as well as a page for her ceramics and her art. Very worthwhile checking it out. Jamie is also Mi'kmaq, so she is indigenous to the east coast of Turtle Island and or Canada. I'm having a very hard time with the word Canada lately just based on everything that is happening, all of the horrors that are coming to light around the indigenous children within residential schools, the missing and murdered women. And these are topics that we really did not dive into on today's podcast. We were focusing a lot on her art and some of the other avenues that she is moving towards. But I do want to have Jamie Lynn back on to to dive deeper into those those issues that are that are coming up. But on today's episode, we focus a lot on the art, a lot on her background, how she found medicine through art. And then we move into uh, a group called Changes Brewing that Jamie is working with. So she's doing art for uh, this wonderful brewery that is donating a lot back to the community, doing a lot of work. And I think you guys will just really enjoy this episode. Jamie Lynn is just an absolute delight. She's such a wonderful being and such a beautiful soul. My memory of Jamie Lynn goes back to a moment eating craft dinner on her kitchen floor with her, and we were laughing so hard, so hard. I was crying, my stomach hurt, and neither of us could even remember why we started laughing. It was just one of those moments of pure joy that I don't think I'll ever forget. And her spirit is just so strong. Her art is is so wonderful and whimsical. I think you guys will really just enjoy getting to know Jamie on this episode. And again, I'm really hoping to have her back on to just dive even deeper into some of the topics that we just didn't get to in this episode. So until next time, I hope you guys enjoy it. And please follow Jamie, support her art. She just, it's worth it. It's worth checking it out. Okay, guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, if you enjoyed any episodes you've heard on my podcast, I would love it if you would throw me some love in the form of light through some five stars and maybe a review if you've got the time. It's always appreciated. So I'm just stoked to talk to you. How have you been doing? I've been doing good. Um, yeah, I lost my job in October. So it's just kind of been like, it's hard to talk about COVID because it's so hard in so many ways. But like, sometimes you get these little bliss moments where you're like, yeah, I hate working. Like, what? but like you know it's like it's been hard and and but other aspects is like I just have so much alone time now and I've just been really enjoying my time alone and giving myself self space and space to just think real hard and be bored but also fall into art and like 
You know what I mean? Just all these kind of cycles. Time is not linear now. It's like, what is day and night? I don't know. Like, yeah. No, I can do whatever I want because nobody cares. <laughs> I don't think time has never been linear. We've just been trying to force it to be linear. <laughs> yeah, like time is a colonial concept, man. <laughs> yeah. What what asshole needed to invent the watch? Why did we do that? I know. Like yeah. I was just in enjoying the sun going up and down like why do I have to (laughs) I was just enjoying the sun going up and down (laughs) why are you trying to make me schedule myself (laughs) (laughs) yeah like leave me alone for sure I want to talk about art um and kind of how you got into it, what it was for you when you were younger. Because I remember mm-hmm. we, were, we were close when, when we were younger and I, you were always into art, but what kind of, um, did it always call to you to go towards it in a career path? Um, I think art, I think it's kind of like you are an artist in a way or you're not. I feel like a lot of people can be born that way and it's funny because sometimes people can look at other people like if you don't make art all the time or like if you're not making art then you're not an artist but I do think it's like your mindset and even if you make things once in a while you're definitely like still an artist it's how you carry yourself but Mm -hmm. as a kid I was always like you know, when we're kids, we just look for an escape. And if you're uncomfortable in your surrounding, you know, art's a really good way to go. Um, So yeah, I just really heavily relied on my imagination and as a way to calm myself. And my mom was super encouraging of art. And my name is Jamie Lynn and I'm named after my uncle and my aunt, but my uncle Jamie was um, super good at art. So like, as a kid, everybody would always tell me every every time I drew a picture or anything, they're like, oh, you just, you got that hand like your Uncle Jamie, like, isn't that just the most tender little thing? But um, yeah, so it was like, my mom just really encouraged it. And I just got such like a positive reward. I felt like it was embedded in me, like it was what I was meant to do. But I wasn't really familiar that you could kind of do it as an artistic path until... I was like almost in high school and then you would like, I didn't even know that art universities like existed. <laughs> Were you I like really didn't. When you found out. Yeah. I found out and I was like, Whoa, like hold your horses, buddy. Like this is, this is obviously <laughs> what I'm going to go do because I always struggled with school so much. Like I tried so hard in school and was always a part of like homework club and programs and got tutored. And I always had the motivation and I tried really hard, but I just wasn't naturally that good at science and math and all that stuff. But I just had such happiness with art. And yeah, I've always just experimented growing up and Mm. yeah. Yeah. I feel like even art as a kid is just kind of like a way to, (laughs) like reclaim your innocence Mm -hmm. you know you're like I'm playful I have an imagination I want to focus on like these positive things and art was always just a way a way of that and it was always a way that I socialized too like even in class like I kind of draw pictures and I'd send it around and get people to sign their name of like what they like the best so it's like all circles just always come back to like art for me you know 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, just, I'm curious again, and whatever you're comfortable speaking to, um, yeah. when you say like kind of going back and finding your innocence, I remember when you were first going into NASCAR, or it might've been your second or third year, but you did a, a photo series kind of showcasing some of the the stories from your culture and you had like your your niece and your nephew in them. Uh, when When you look at art, and I think this is probably an obvious question, but I'm assuming it kind of helped you learn more about your indigenous culture in, in those types of things. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So I think um, growing up in, uh, it's just so awkward to talk about, you know, I know. but it's yeah, it's just like, cause I don't want to bring shame to like my family or my culture, but it's like, I guess I'll just like lay it out. Yeah. <laughs> All of this is just my own opinion and experience. But if you do grow up in, let's say, um, like a, like a household that represents maybe like a stereotype, um, I just felt like I was surrounded by such negativity and I didn't really even learn about legends and kind of like the Mi'kmaq culture in that way until I was like a bit older. And I don't mean old. I mean, like, you know, like maybe 10, 10 and up, but not when I was like super young. And when I started, like when I heard like one legend, I was just like, oh, my God, like I didn't even know that we had these cool stories. And I was like, I don't have to like. The thing with being in, in, an Indigenous artist is that people just want you to be upset mm-hmm. all the time. Like, even when I did artist talk, people would, like, raise their hand and tell me I wasn't mad enough. Like, maybe I have another peer that's telling me I'm not doing enough because I'm not, like, pro- like out on, like, protesting all the time. And I feel like even that's a stereotype in itself. Mm-hmm. And... It's hard. It's yeah, it's just really hard to deal with because a lot of people, you know, even if they didn't, I grew up on reserve. So my experiences are still like a bit different than like other perspectives. But it's like when you have like off reserve people or people just finding out that they're indigenous and they're trying to find their own path, but they they put this like mindset on you to carry where you're just like, you know what, like. I've lived this, I know this, and I don't have to like, I don't have to embody that. So that's, that's always why, like, I really enjoy legends because legends, no matter what can be portrayed to like any story, you know, cause they're about moral and values. And the thing that mainly legends help me um, sort myself out with is that there is no like bad or good person in them. Mm-hmm. And you you also can't really even tell if a person is a person or if they're an animal or if they're like a plant or a rock. And it's funny because it's just like you can really think you're learning about like an animal. And yeah, it just turns out to be like a young boy or something. And then you just you start to get these values that like everything is the same and everything is equal, whether it's like a tree or me or you And, you know, maybe you did something really frowned upon in your life, but like that doesn't make you the devil. Like it doesn't make you a bad person and you don't have to carry that forever. So that even helped me kind of like deal with my family, you know, where you're just like everybody has their own past. Um, Everybody tried to do the, the best they can. There's like a lot of love there, but I think that's what Legends really helped me with and like making art is like just realizing everything is kind of like a balancing act and 
yeah, to just take things a little bit lightly and yeah. 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 And I think that it like the, the stereotypes that are around, if people don't look and recognize that there's epigenetic trauma, right. These are people moving through trauma and a lot of it, they might not even be aware of the depth of what they're carrying. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it's like genetic, like it really is just mm-hmm. this, these genetic stories that we carry and you just really have to look at the big picture and think about where we are in time. You know, like it's just, it's wild. Like my experience is just so different than my grandfather's and his experience was so different than his grandfather's. And it's like, when you think of being like nomadic and moving a lot, and now maybe we're more like, we have this stagnant energy And I think that's why like a lot of people have a hard time going over these hurdles in life is because we have so much energy and we don't even know what to do with it. But we're kind of like the first generation that experiences it, you know, like us and our parents. And Mm -hmm. it's a lot to like, you just have to acknowledge it. But a lot of people that takes a lifetime in itself is just realizing like where we are as like a society and like what's natural and what's not and how we've been put in these boxes, you know, and yeah. And it's tough because we're not supposed to be working this much. Like we really aren't. It sounds like such like a privileged thing to kind of say, but like human beings aren't supposed to work six or seven hours a day. Like children aren't supposed to go to school that long and then go home and do homework. And it's like, where do we get a thought, you know, for ourselves? And especially if you're a parent, it's like, you know, you work hard just to like put your kid in daycare and you're not even with your kid, but you don't want to lose your job because you have to support. And it's just like this really like vicious cycle that a lot of us are too scared to break and don't even have the option to break it. So mm-hmm. I broke it in April. I, <laughs> I quit, yeah. my, quit my government job. I was like, I can't, I, every time I would go there, I would feel suicidal. And then I get home and be working on my own business, just doing some guided meditation stuff with people. And I feel great. I feel great. I was like, life's amazing. I go back to that job and I think I don't want to be here. And I was like, okay, I don't not want to be on the earth. I don't want to be working for the government anymore. <laughs> it's yeah, and it takes place. so much courage to get there. Like it takes so much courage to quit. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. people don't get like a pat on the back enough. But yeah, yeah, people just do things that they don't want to do every day. And it's like, yeah, it's just so hard. And it's like, of course, it's easier said than done. But like, congratulations to you for like, taking a jump that like most people and you have to recognize like that came from a very special healthy place in you and that is what the good medicine is my friend the good medicine is in in us all and it's like how are you going to access it but first of all like when are you going to call yourself out for your own bullshit Mm -hmm. Because the world's not going to give you anything like you, you have to go out there and take and no one's going to make these choices for you. And to be brave and like, know when something isn't healthy is like, that's catastrophic. A lot of people don't even get there. Um, 
in their lifetime and to see like a young woman do it just like it's hard not to it's hard not to cry I'm such a cry baby it's like <sighs> so lovely honestly, <laughs> it's like you quit your job and I'm like over here like about to weep <laughs> I love it and honestly like I, I can't lie like you are someone who's inspired me to to Go where I want to go. Every time I check in with you, even if it's just through like the old internet portal, I'm like, oh my God, look at Jamie. She's making, <laughs> she's trying new things. She's putting herself out there and like just everything you're doing, I'm like inspired by. So thank you for kind of helping well, show you. me that I can do something like that. Right. And oh I, <laughs> we're a few months in and I'm, everything's going fine right now. My brain is always going like, this might've been a mistake, but not in terms of I guess I take that back. It's definitely not a mistake, but like that leap of faith. And I have no idea what, what's next where before I, I could see really far into the future and I hated it. Yeah. It's like fucking no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. I don't, I don't want that. Like, I'm sick of working for the main man. <laughs> yeah. And just seeing all of the uh, lack of integrity and the hypocrisy and like the, it's bad it's sad too right because it's like when you think of like all the education you had to go through I knew you as a student and I could see that you were stressed out but you really cared and it's like when you think of everything you've gone through to get to such a point and then you realize like this is like a toxic work environment and it's not working. It's like, it's such a bummer. (laughs) And and especially when it's about the environment and I know how deeply hard you work and how much you care about it, but like, then you get there and it's like, yeah, it's just, it can be disappointing. And Oh yeah. Completely disillusioned is what I would, would call it. But yeah. In, in terms of the <laughs> environment, speaking on that, I'm curious. Um, there's, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Like, I don't know if you're keeping up at all with the stuff happening in Fairy Creek. And then even with the, the, the lobster stuff that was happening, when you yeah. look at like my personal opinion is that our entire North America would be better off if we were following more of like a traditional indigenous way of working with the land because I, For I sure. think it's just, I just sensical. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's hard. Be, it's hard to just, you know, wake up every day to a prime minister when you really, <laughs> I think it should be a chief. Like I don't, yeah. I don't, un, I can't, it's like, you're just like, it's like every day I wake up and it's just like living in a dream. And it's, it's sad because we're never going to have the connection to the land until settlers respect and acknowledge, you know, indigenous people and their ways. And that's what's sad is like, it doesn't even feel like I can grasp that in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so upsetting. (laughs) Like I don't even, it's, I and that's just such like a vortex in itself. Like, where do you even want to go with that? Cause we could talk about that forever, but it's like, it's just such a yeah disillusion and disconnect mm-hmm. with everybody. And you turn on social media and you're just watching people get pulled by their braids and handcuffed and bloody. And it's like, it's just crazy. And it's crazy to think, you know, these people, that are doing those things are doing it for us 
and they don't even know us. And that's just like how full of love, like these human beings are. And it doesn't matter if you're like indigenous or white or black. It's like, if you're out there and you're putting in that work, it's just like, you're really, those people care about the next seven generations and they care about us. And mm-hmm. yes, yeah, just, it's just, yeah, the racism is the racism is wild, like, and all of these people, you know, on the opposing side, whatever you call it, you know, they have kids. And when these kids are at home, they're asking like, you know, their mom or dad, like where, you know, where's my mom and dad. And then they explain to them, you know, if your dad is like a settler fisherman and he's been out for days at a time against the indigenous fishermen and like, yelling racial slurs and and shooting like those flares at them and sitting with their boys like there's one indigenous boat but there's a hundred settler boats it's like it's the stories at home that they explain to their kids that like keeps me up at night (laughs) you know like these kids are growing up getting hated yeah for sure and and that's like you know that's the crazy thing is like they truly believe it Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if anyone were to even just look at the the facts and see that the the sustainable fishery is the indigenous people, and when you look at like I think it's Clearwater, the number of lobsters they're mm-hmm. pulling out of the water, and it's for profit. They're not. It's not mm-hmm. a connection. It's not supporting their community. It's for profit. Those lobsters end up here in Alberta, which I already think is insane that we have them here. Why are they here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. when, when I look at um, kind of like my, my roots and like what's going on here and you see like the colonizers coming over to, to North America, it almost feels like an alien invasion where they're completely disconnected from the earth. They've forgotten that they too, if they look at it, are indigenous to the planet. Mm-hmm. And they've just completely disconnected, and it's all about greed. And when you look at what greed means, the word evil comes forward, which is the reverse of live, right? So it's mm-hmm. this evil tendency to just take more than you need. This consume, consume, progress, mm-hmm. progress. Where are we progressing to? Has anyone? I know. And there's so much wasted food, like even in the restaurant industry, it's like everywhere. It's like all we we could feed more people, and we don't. Like we choose not to mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just like somebody's just always getting rich, you know? Yeah. And it's like where everybody's bottom bitch, <laughs> like for real, it's like whether, who, wh- whatever your job is, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're probably just a drop in the pail and you're really just helping somebody else's dreams come true. And you're just taking care of someone else's baby. And the worst thing is about in the workforce is like, you're not even usually respected. Like people are trying to find what you're doing wrong, or if you're not working fast and hard enough. And it's like, it's nuts. Like a lot of people talk about like, oh, it's so hard to find a good employee, but it's also hard to find a good boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something we just don't talk enough about. It's like, if I'm, can you imagine like hiring a babysitter and you have a kid and the second you leave your house, you turn to your partner and you're like, oh, she doesn't know how to babysit. Like, you know, maybe she's just like doing drugs or falling asleep. It's like, you wouldn't leave that person with your kid to do such a job. And that's how people like 
treat employers. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Where were you working before the COVID fiasco happened? Uh, I was working at Good Robot. I was a bartender and server at Good Robot. Mm-hmm. And I was on the direct, um, the creative direct. Yeah, the creative team. So I was like making beer can labels and stuff. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah, now I'm a part of um, Changes Brewing. So the cool thing about that is I met a few other folks um, from there that were starting a collective called the Changes Brewing Collective. And it's uh, we promote diversity and inclusion in the food and craft beer industry. So we only, it came out of like the death of George Floyd. We just really wanted like a sense of family in the city. Um, My peers are from like North Preston and the Bahamas and Florida. And I'm from here. And I think like even coming from a reserve, I just really, uh, like I need a sense of community super bad. So I was like, yeah, I'm like totally into this. And it was supposed to just be one beer, but then it just seemed like there was a need for it. And now it's been like a year and we just keep releasing stuff and yeah. Crazy. And to give people an idea about um, North Preston, that's, that's an area in the HRM. And I think one Mm -hmm. of the things that I've um, heard consistently is that as it's part of, the HRM, they don't get funding for like crosswalks or road repairs or like Mm -hmm. basic things that other areas in the HRM are getting. Mm -hmm. And it's a predominantly Black community, correct? Yeah, it's the biggest Black settlement, I was always told, like in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's, it's massive. And it's just funny because it's like, it's like Indigenous people were like, you know, settler people are like what like oh I never knew that and it's just like but this is like your backyard like if you don't know native people and you're you're living in Mi'kmaq even like what like where do you where do you live and and that's like the sad thing about Nova Scotia is like if you're not in like in like immediate proximity to a reserve like then it doesn't phase you Mm-hmm. Then you don't know, like know anybody. You don't learn about it. Like my schooling experience is just so drastically been like, I know of people in like from the South shore, they're like, Oh, we never learned about Mi'kmaq this or Mi'kmaq that. And I was like, Oh, well, like my school actually put effort into it, but like, you know, a busload of native kids went to that school. So that like, that's why. And it just mm-hmm. sucks to think like, Oh, maybe like, my band or something had to push for that, like to put it in the curriculum. Like, was that our idea? Most likely. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. I remember like when I started to, we'll call it awaken to racism Mm because and like, I don't blame my mom or anything like that, but like, I just, I was not educated around it. I grew Mm -hmm. up thinking that racism towards black people ended in the 1960s. I just mm-hmm. thought that that's, it ended then. And my education in elementary school, and I think even junior high, was that white people came over, hung out with Indigenous folks. They taught us about maple syrup, and it was a la di da fun time. <laughs> like, that, that was my education. Typical Canadian story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's disgusting, though, when, when you really think about it in terms of how uh, that ignorance is just programmed. Mm-hmm. 
For sure. Like it's passed down and it's programmed, especially when, you know, you just live in a society that's constructed by the other and everything you do is interrupted by it. Like, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, you're talking about how you were a kid and you thought these things, but like, that's not your fault. You were a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the fault of the education system, which is yeah. the governing body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're telling yeah. a story that makes them look good. Right. And even with what's happening with the residential school and them finding the, the children now, it's not that that wasn't known. I think I know that's what makes it so painful. Like sometimes I feel so loud and then sometimes things happen and I feel so quiet Mm -hmm. and that happened. And it's like, I just feel quiet. Like I don't, it's like, I can't even form a sentence how I really feel about it because you just know, like we know, but it's like if indigenous people like need to grieve and they want to talk about it and they want like, you know, it should be in the news, but there's just something about it. That's like, I can't quite put it into words, but it's like, well, we all, we know this, like, this is our history. Like no one had to teach it to me. I I knew it because I grew up with it and was always, it was always talked about, but. Yeah. And watching it be like, kind of Mm -hmm. like the, the, I don't want to call it like, oh, what is the right word when people just kind of post to be yeah they're just like doing it to and I don't want to use the term virtue signaling because like I know that that virtue is is a good it's a good thing but Mm -hmm. yeah it watching the government just they've admitted that it was genocide and yet they're still not willing to be responsible for it it's because yeah because if you're going to be responsible for it you have to like suffer the consequences and that's you know they don't want to it even sounds like something that costs money or something I think is what they think but really people just want respect yeah you know it's like it's like the water problem um on the south shore of Nova Scotia like mm. if Elliot Page is willing to take their hard working money and to put that well in because the government won't, but you don't want to, you don't want to because you don't want to take the responsibility of like, yeah, we fucked up. Mm -hmm. Like we literally put a dump in your backyard and most people, you know, died of cancer, but that's the sad thing. It's like, even if you find the money and the people, it still doesn't, they still don't want to help you (laughs) because nobody wants to take on the responsibility of like, Mm -hmm. saying sorry and that they did wrong and that's why I feel so strange about um reconciliation within Canada is because I don't know I just feel a bit jaded like I don't I feel like it's more so reconciliation of like indigenous people expressing themselves to like other indigenous people you know what I mean but I feel like that's like an offensive thing to say but eventually you just hit a wall where you're like yeah. You just feel like you're also talking to like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is like it's it's a it's needed but it's also like you're not really who I'm trying to get through because like you seem to get it and you're compassionate but what about everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. It it's it's an interesting like the way I see it is like a a narcissism where if people were to be accountable that would be mm-hmm. some some like a narcissist is not willing to take accountability. They're just 
not. And to me, that means they should be evicted from the scene. <laughs> but yeah, how do you do that? How do you do that? Like every narcissist. We're deporting you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, though. Yeah. It's like, ah, it's I'm hoping like it seems like people are waking up. But at the same time, you see like the violent opposition to that at the same time, which is quite disgusting and very confusing with the with all the information available to people. How are they still this ignorant? For sure. And it's also like. Uh, what was the word you just used? Evict. <laughs> Nar- narcissism. Narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no, we've, yeah. we've all had those relationships on a personal level. I, I just can't imagine like, like I've, I've watched narcissists at play where they have maybe a partner that they're horrible to, and then mm-hmm. their friends that they're okay to. So I look at mm-hmm. that as like the government treats white people. And well, that's a really interesting. Yeah. 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 So they treat white people and then even a lot of um, like people that have immigrated over uh, way better than they treat the people who belong to the land they're on. Right. So yeah. people at home, considering like the partner are that they're being abused, but the other people are like, no, they're fine. They're the life of the party. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like who wants to take on um, the consequences of their ancestors as well. Yeah. But it's, but that's how like they don't understand systemic racism it's like you should just give indigenous people water and like you know like indigenous children have scabies like if you look at them there's like scabs on their face they have diseases because they're bathing and drinking if this happened to toronto or montreal like even in nova scotia people are like don't drink from grand lake this week and people were losing their minds and it's like you're losing your mind and try going to like every other reservation and they don't have doctors. They don't have medical, like their milk is like three times the price. Like they, they are living in shacks. Like, mm-hmm. it's just crazy. It's like you, you this forced lifestyle mm-hmm. that, you know, it's like you, colonialism, it's like people came over and they enforced government law mm-hmm. to yeah. work yeah. like it's completely disruptive and when you think about the state that we're in now um addiction and depression it's because that's passed down and there's like a sense of displacement mm-hmm. because we were never supposed to be living like this like this is like a fast society and now we even live in a society where your bfa feels like your high school degree um you know like your postgraduate feels like your bfa like it just keeps like you would need to be have like a phd to feel like you can even survive in this world or something like it's relentless and no one is experienced experiencing the extreme end of this other than our generation like for sure and that's like the funny thing is like we get gaslit if you're like a millennial you know like people talk talk about us like we're these spoiled little brats and it's like sure we have iphones but guess what they're making us sick Mm -hmm. like people are tired already and we're the ones like our age like i just turned 30 i knew what it was like before this like crazy tech technology like advance happen 
And now we're like suffering the after and social media and what it does and like the rhythm of checking our phone and like having like four different apps for one job and then you're personal and it's like, this is exhausting. Like we're not supposed to, you have to put more effort into stripping yourself back to the basics because you don't fit now. Even if you want to go back to being basic, it's like, it's, it's almost harder to like do that. You know what I mean? To like live in a tiny house and like have a garden and eat like, yeah. Even save to get that house. Like we're in a housing crisis. Like houses are like over 3000, hundred thousand of the asking price. And it's like anyone that lives in Nova Scotia can't even dream. I'm Mi'kmaq and I live in Mi'kmaq and I can't even dream Mm-hmm. about having a house on my own land yeah what is Mi'kma'ki is that a, 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 an area it's just like the territory we're on yeah. so it's just kind of like um yeah like Nova Scotia mm-hmm. New Brunswick and yeah thank you yeah. Uh, it's it's like very confusing too because it, like your soul is probably like but I should be able to live where I want yeah, for sure. Like, and it's, it's, I think like many, you know, Mi'kmaq lineage has like such a strong tie to the land, but you know, I don't, I don't speak on the Brookses or the Syllaboys. Like I just kind of know my own, which is the Glodes and the Glodes, like they were known to like be trackers and to like even help settler people get across Canada and Nova Scotia like that because they knew it like the back of their hand Mm -hmm. and it's like it's so sad to know (laughs) that I come from such like a you know like a a cool talent to like have legends and to know where everything is and what time of year like something sprouts and like Mm -hmm. it just you just feel like you lose a sense of direction and there's no room for you like there's no room for us and if there is it's on a reservation Mm. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And it's crazy. Even even if you lived on a reservation from, you know, to whatever year you needed um, permission to leave. When did that end? You had to apply for the Indian agent to leave the reservation so like it was like a it's like a cage like, yeah. and, and it's and, like off to the side on unfarmable land like give me the, a break the indian agent was that run through the white government or was that run yeah, yeah that's disgusting Jesus yeah there's Christ. tons of things to say about that but yeah it's all very um unwelcoming i don't understand um how there isn't some sort of like law even Mm -hmm. to encourage indigenous people to have homes on their land (laughs) this is like squatters coming into your home and telling you you need to stay in your bedroom while they take over the rest (laughs) of your house and they're gonna give you only the water that was collected in the rain bucket outside while they have it out of the tap this is it's just it's like if you really look at it it's complete insanity and i think people are so comfortable and content in their lives with their suburban house and their two suvs and their their kids going to the nice school that they're not willing Mm -hmm. to look because they don't want to lose the comfort that they their privilege has provided them for sure and 
you know, the downfall to that even is, you know, if you have, if you do live on reserve and you have a home and all these, like these types of things, to me, the unfortunate part is that it looks like settler living. Like why do our houses even look like their houses like where where is our flavor in this like if you drive through a reservation I just think it should look different I think the and it does like we have like our stop signs and like roads that what it's like in Mi'kmaq there is like these little bits and pieces that are different but like more or less it looks like um like a suburban neighborhood, you know, and I just, I just wish there was more like indigenous architecture. Yeah. Um, so the, the programming and like the dopamine response from all the media that people are being fed, right? That this is what success looks like. This is what you want. This is the dream. If you're mm-hmm. getting that through the TV from a young age, or if like mm-hmm. even just the programming that happened, I don't know anything about what was done in residential schools in terms of programming, but I assume it was not pleasant or um, supportive of the culture. For sure. So within your community, do you see any kind of um, desire or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like projects to kind of try to, to bring more forward in terms of like cultural heritage? Um, hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's also hard because I live in the city now, so, <laughs> but it's like, um, you know, they're putting efforts into like windmills and stuff like that. So I guess they're like, they do worry about conservation and stuff like that. And, you know, our church is shaped like a wigwam and, um, there's like, yeah, there's like representation, but that's just a really good question that I'd have to like go dwell into, myself because I'm sure somebody's like putting in putting in that effort for sure I just don't I don't personally know what that looks like all I know is like they're building rapidly um I guess I could talk about (laughs) there is like the power center you know like where the movie theater and A&W is so when you think about expanding and like making money that's what it looks like and I remember in high school, I even like used to write essays in English about like, (laughs) I was like, this is not the way, like, this isn't like, I'm not down for this. Like, I'm not down for burger, this and that. And like Tim Hortons on our land and like, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, really there it's, you're playing the game. I read this like quote the other day that it like, an indigenous person said from a long time ago and and it was something along the lines of like um my children are going to put on your shoes and run faster than you and that's in a weird way I look at that and I'm like I guess (laughs) I guess like if that's how we keep housing people and stuff I guess but like I don't really I don't agree with it but like Millbrook First Nation is different than other reserves because we do these things like I used to go to native camps. (laughs) I grew up on welfare or whatever, right? I used to go to these native camps and they used to call us rich kids. And I didn't even understand. I was like, what are you talking about? But it's true. Like compared to other reserves, we're like pretty, there's privilege there. You know what I mean? Like we've had breakfast programs where I could get fed in the morning and homework clubs. And like, I had a roof over my head and all of these things, but Mm-hmm. yeah I don't know what to say about that yeah casinos like we have slot machines and 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, you know, yeah. my, my hope is if, if the game were to be played in that way, that with the running faster, they would, the, the words are like gain enough momentum to turn it around. <laughs> right. Right. Just get in those places of power and then start in like doing change. But it, it's, it's interesting. I, I just knew so many people that grew up wanting to go into the environmental field. And then once they get the money and once they taste that flavor of like what the oil sands were providing in terms of money, they flip. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm saying indigenous people would do that, but like, it's that, I think a, a, the human soul is very susceptible to greed. Mm-hmm. It, just, it is. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate, especially when um, our values as a species seem to be being eroded at like a really rapid pace. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, it's kind of funny because Millbrook's going through this thing right now where they're trying to open, like the government's trying to open gold mining on our land. Oh. And there's this like little Millbrook Facebook group and they talk about a lot of things and like, I don't see anybody talking about this. And the crazy thing is, is I hear about it through my non-Indigenous friend that is like um, the monitor between both parties. And it's just crazy because like, I just start sweating and I'm like, well, isn't this like history repeating itself? And I just think of like Picto and what happened to them with like the paper, Mm -hmm. you know, like factory and how it affected them. And I just feel like, when I hear these things, I don't even like, it's just a no, like my gut just tells me no, it makes my stomach turn. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people are like, but this is how you sustain the next seven generations. But it's like, I don't know, man, it's kind of like, you know, Justin Trudeau's basically like, we have to sell our oil to get to like, make this sustainable, um, energy or whatever like we have to buy the stuff to be eco-friendly but it's like buddy <laughs> like you know what I mean you're just like aren't we like double dipping just a little too much and it feels really wrong like mm-hmm. I don't like the sounds of any of these things like just leave everything in the earth like just yeah. leave it stop selling your shit and digging holes and like yeah where are your people even gonna live yeah yeah I think I, I liked Trudeau when he was first being elected and I, my- me too. I cried actually. I couldn't believe it. Like, like tears sprinted out of my eyes because I was just re- like relieved because he was on that indigenous train and he duped me, man. He duped yeah. me. Like I'm so embarrassed, like how much I actually believed felt good about him compared to now. It's like, it's just the saddest <laughs> realization. Yeah. Again, we've got another form of narcissism and people that have those traits, they do something called love bombing at the beginning of a relationship where they make you feel really special and important. And then they slowly flip the script. And he, to me, is that Disney prince that the girl falls for, but secretly he's got a completely different agenda about the whole thing. And it's really disappointing. Yeah, for sure. And this is like, this is what happens when he was born into it as well it's like you're you're a white man and your dad was a prime minister and it's just kind of like I don't know what your if your experiences would be enough Mm-mm. because you're so privileged you know yeah. it's just sad it's like I just wish there was more indigenous people on in the government yeah 
Yeah. When you were saying that it should be a chief, my mind immediately pictured like it should be many chiefs. Oh, for sure. It should be like a major council from like all the reserves across everywhere. Mm -hmm. And even them having to keep each other in check. Like, I'm not saying like, you know, the chief and council are all like, everything is smooth there. There's like a lot of corruption in res politics as well, but it's like, yeah, yeah. I just, I do wonder what kind of world we would live in. Um, I hope I see it in my lifetime. I really hope I see an indigenous prime minister, but yeah, maybe a chief, (laughs) maybe a chief, that would be nice. Yeah. Like I'm a little bit like aggressive when it comes to like the idea that I would really like to burn the entire structure down and allow people to take back their rightful position on their land. Right. Like the, Mm -hmm. the land back thing, whenever I hear anyone pushing back on the idea of land back, I get very confused about why they would have any issue with that. Cause to me, I, the analogy that I use is like, all right, you um, inherited a bunch of money from your uncle and then you find mm-hmm. out that he killed a family and stole it from them. Would you still feel okay keeping that money? Right. And if you would, I have a lot of questions about your integrity. Yeah. Morals. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it, it, it's interesting because like, I'm white. I'm extremely privileged. I didn't do, I thought there was like indigenous people within my family. There was not, I did a DNA test. I don't know. (laughs) the family. (laughs) I do not know my dad's side of the family. I haven't talked to them in years. And, uh, I remember as a kid, I, I like thought when I was in Cape Breton, they said something about it and I was like, Oh, cool. And I realized just how ignorant that is now, but I I'm extremely white. I'm full Nordic but I'm here in, in Canada and it's interesting because as much as I want to help, I still feel really powerless because I don't own anything. I have my car. Yeah. I don't really have any money. Like I do, but I don't like, I have like, how do you, yeah. how do you bring change when you feel? Well, you have a platform. First of all, I, do. I have a platform here. We're doing it. <laughs> We're doing it now. Platform, like a thousand followers is a lot of people to me. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point you're making. So, you know how many people sit in your seat and they don't even invite BIPOC people on? Like it's not on their agenda at all. Yeah. Yeah. I like the word BIPOC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just fun. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> it's a BIPOC. It sounds, it's a, it's got a ring to it that I really enjoy. <laughs> I was curious if you would be willing to at all share one of the legends or like even just like a short form of any of the legends that you think um, have, have been really important for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. There's so many and um, they're really wild to say like out loud. Because <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know if I remember them perfectly correctly, but there is this one that I really liked. Um, and I think it's, it starts off with like a family that is starting to starve. They can't hunt anymore. The, The animals seem to move, whatever. And, um, I think the father, um, like behind the mom's back, he starts um, like shaving off parts of his leg, like thin parts of his leg to feed to his family. And then eventually the mom 
like finds out and she's just kind of like horrified by like the betrayal and the fact that he can't hunt whatever and so she like goes to the wigwam pole where there's like a little hole in the ground and she cries herself into the earth and she ends up on the other side which is kind of like just this parallel world it looks a lot like the world that we know and there's a whole new tribe of people and they take her in and they're eating well and there's all kinds of animals so she's just like well here my luck is better and I can survive so I'm just gonna abandon my children um but then the children are up there and they're just like well my mom cried (laughs) my mom cried herself into the world like maybe and she didn't come back so maybe I should try that too like I'm hungry and they go to the hole and they and they cry themselves into the earth and when they get there they are seen as bad luck because the animals leave so then the mom is like you know this happened to me before I think we should get away I think we should leave them here and get away from them and travel until we can like find animals again um so basically this tribe like takes his brother and sister they hang them by their heels from a tree and they leave them there to die but as the tribe of people are moving away um I think it's like the grandmother that feels like a lot of compassion for them and it's something like she like shoots an arrow into the sun that travels for three days. And I think it like lets this brother and sister loose somehow. And then when they get down, they like have this power, um, like this animal power where like animals are just drawn to them. They don't even have to like call very loudly or travel very far. They just like have this power. And with that power, they, um, they like get food and they actually bring it to the tribe that had like abandoned them and, and left them for dead. So it's always just like about morals, you know, it's like, even if somebody's like breaking you down and leaves you for stranded, like you should still feed them. Like you should still have compassion for like what we would call like a bad person or like, you know what I mean? But they were, and it's also to view it as like, they were just trying to survive. So there's like all kinds of things at play and, it's really layered and there's like another legend where a boy goes missing and eventually he gets found by somebody in his tribe and he didn't want to leave his family because he felt a part of them. And by the end of the story, you just realize you think it's talking about like um, a little bear, but it turns out to be a boy that was adopted by bears. And it's just really cute because it's like he'd rather live with the bears. Like that's his family, you know, and yeah. and he was very sad when he had to go back to people. So it's like, yeah, just finding comfort in different things and like home in different types of like species and settings and mm-hmm. and like nature versus nurture, you know, like all these funny little bits. There's just so many stories I wouldn't even... I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. The the first one that you told, the 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 like psychological picture that came to my mind was around like taking your your biggest wounds and your biggest pain that maybe you got from your parents or your community or your your culture and and then turning them into gifts and then yeah yeah feeding people with those gifts you yeah. know yeah i like that i want to talk about your art so photography you've done painting you're now doing kind of the the is it is it pottery what you're doing or how would you yeah ceramics um yeah, yeah my ceramics is really weird 
I just kind of put like nubs and tentacles on anything. Like I like giving um, functional pieces, like a personality, you know, I just, I always thought the word um, materialistic was just really bad. Like people would always talk to me like I was materialistic and I, I always took such offense to it. Cause you just feel like we're in I don't know, like you're boring and you need to buy things or like to like be a person or something. But I really just recently realized that it's like there's a lot of beauty in being materialistic because even as a kid, all I could really do was try to like change my room with the things that I had or make art for my walls to make myself comfortable. So it's really about like adapting to your space and how you can change it to like affect your mindset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I try to do with pottery. Yeah. And we are material beings. So it's interesting, this big moral thing people are posing now about like material things and like wanting to get away from them being a minimalist. I understand Mm -hmm. it. And I think as a species, we consume way too much, but I was talking with, um, a spiritual care coordinator that works in hospice. And he was saying that the, the amount our society downplays how much our stuff matters to us mm-hmm. and is one of the things that seems to shock people the most when they're approaching end of life is how much their stuff really did physically matter to them. So especially if you're someone who grew up using that as like a coping mechanism to, to mm-hmm. help feel, feel safe and feel at home and feel secure, it, it makes a lot of sense. I have a question. Is your stuff for sale? Are you selling? It will be. Um, I'm working on a website right now. Well, I'm, I'm building a studio from scratch. So it's like, it's supposed to be done in maybe like two weeks and then I'm supposed to get my kiln in July. So by like the end of summer, I hope to just have like, a, like a real website and everything to sell my stuff, but not at the moment, but I will glow ceramics. Holla at me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to just all include pictures of some of your work uh, within the description for the episode on on Instagram. So if anyone is curious and wants to check some of Jamie's stuff out, please go look. It's it's unreal. It's very unique. It's very you. And I'm sure people have gathered just from hearing you that you've got like a wonderfully like adorable, quirky personality that you offer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny what comes out when you spend time with yourself. You're like, oh, that's what I look like. <laughs> Like, that's what I look like as a mug or like this, this like a vase. It's so funny. Yeah. The, within like one of the, the spiritual communities that I, I like to hang out with, they call artists the image setters in that like, so they, they I think they break it down into uh, healers, image setters. Um, what is the word for? Uh, oh my God. There's some word for people that are trying to tear down the, the system right now. What are <laughs> arsenal so like they, they uh-huh. kind of like break people down so like the idea of like people that are going to the protests and stuff those would be more of like an arsenal energy for sure and then the, the healer types are the ones kind of going out into the community trying to work with people and trying to to give support but then we've also got image setters who are the artists who are who are using their their channeling imagination to pull in new image and, and new matter to 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 create that that new space do you identify with that idea of being an image setter that's so funny never heard of that before I guess so because my stuff is so whimsical I just want you to look at it and wonder why and if you wonder why then like you're gonna end up 
hearing about a Mi'kmaq legend, I feel like if you look me up or like, or I can like give you like a piece of the cake and be like, this is what inspired me. You should go find out more by yourself. So yeah. yeah. And I, I hope my art is like a, an image setter inspiration to guide people to learn about Mi'kmaq people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when when you're doing your art are you like purposefully channeling stuff from your culture or do you think that it's just like it's something that's like can't be like unwoven from who you are as an artist I would say the latter it's funny because there's always like this question am I indigenous that happens to be an artist or am I an artist that happens to be indigenous and even within like that whole conversation um, sometimes we ask ourselves what indigenous art is, but I feel like anything I would make would be considered indigenous because I'm an indigenous person, mm -hmm. but a lot of other people might feel like, you know, if you paint, maybe my painting should look like an Alan Silavoy painting or something like that. And it's just not true. And that's what I try to do with my art too, is like, um, there's little bits and pieces I like to incorporate, like petroglyphs and stuff because that is who we are and like nobody can take that from me like it is mine but I do like to just be more like open-ended and silly and like different and I just work in the moment I really do some people really believe in like um working smarter not harder and that is not me like I am more about like fuck stagnant energy like I can't be thinking every step of the way through like I would rather waste money I would rather waste material as awful as that sounds but it's like if that's the process of me like not losing my mind and experimenting and learning and that's like that whole process is much more important to me than than that like planning it out and yeah like what drew you to the ceramics it's it's kind of funny because I strongly disliked pottery I went to NASCAD University I tried to take a pottery class um I don't cry in public often but when I do it was there I was like 20 minutes in I ended up crying my best friend Megan across my seat like she put her wheel on and her like lump of clay literally flew across the room we were like I don't know why I'm here it was like a three credit course easily could have been like 12 <laughs> I was like I don't enjoy this at all like I am not meant um for ceramics and my teacher always told me that I also wasn't meant for it. She was like, you make caveman wares. Like all of your stuff is heavy. It's bulky. It's like not what pottery is supposed to be. Like go be a hand builder, you know, like don't, but just don't sit at a wheel. It's not for you. Ew. And anyway, I just like, I didn't love it. And then I went to, um, an art residency outside of Seattle, um, Rockland Woods residency. Highly recommend if anybody wants like a life-changing experience. It's it's amazing. Um, but anywho, there was the woman that runs it, Jody Rockwell. She's a ceramic artist. So obviously like at this residency, there was a kiln and there's like this whole area for um pottery and the only other person that didn't go to bed at like nine o'clock was um the ceramic artist and she goes by wonder pipes she's from seattle she makes like 
crazy unicorn pipes and pussy pipes and like all this like really cool stuff. So I just ended up staying up late with her and just like kind of we were just like feeding off of each other and like how we could come up with stuff and how she should market her stuff. And then there was just this empty wheel and she was like, well, if you did this before, why don't you just do it? Like you're just I was just sitting there smoking weeds. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I should just, I should just try it again. And lo and behold, when you're in the woods on a lake smoking dubers, all of a sudden pottery seems like heaps of, without like, you know, like a teacher telling you you're doing it wrong or you should do it like this. It just became like this whole other thing that I immediately was like obsessed with. And then even when I think back to being a kid, um, I had this dresser with like a bunch of tiny little ceramic things on it. And I used to have my stool and I used to go up and I used to dust them all and rearrange them. And I never even really thought about that this year because I just kept thinking like, like, how did this happen to me? But really my most precious things I ever had were my little ceramic pieces that I would dust every other day and like put them in a certain way. And there was even like this pile of dirt um, outside of the baseball field that I would always take my shoes and my socks off and I would just stand in it all the time. Like this pile of dirt was like my friend. I was like, I love this pile of dirt. It is amazing. It's like baseball dirt is like the softest, weirdest. Mm -hmm. Like I love it. And it's funny because really there's like so many reasons I ended up doing ceramics I think it was uh, it was always in me and I just never really knew (laughs) yeah it just it wasn't gonna come forward in that like gatekeeper aspect of like a a school like not that universities are bad but like the idea of that person telling you that it wasn't for you that you were doing it wrong and then when you're in your free floating happy space with this other person it just kind of wanted to come out yeah for sure Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? And like that whole, like, kind of, when you look back on your life, it looks like a setup. That is like the number one thing I grew up with. Like, that's like what my mom always said. So it's definitely embedded in me that everything happens for a reason. But then I think of like horrific things, like somebody burying their child and like, like, am I supposed to look at them and be like, well, (laughs) everything happens for a reason. Like you can't say things to like, Mm -mm. yeah, you know what I mean? Like you think of Palestine and like all of these COVID in India, it's like, it's just like, there's so much hurt, but like, do I, you know, every time I reach a step in my life, like I do think like, Oh, I feel like everything happens for a reason, but Mm-hmm. I actually ask myself that like a few times a week because I'm just like, I don't even know. <laughs> like, I, I don't know where to place myself with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess like when you think of the statement, everything happens for a reason, it doesn't necessarily um, mean that the reason is happy or sunny or benevolent. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, that would be the worst that if for anyone listening, never, ever, ever say that to someone going through a hard time, that would be the most. <laughs> no. Right. Like, yeah, that's how you get punched in the face. Yeah. It's like getting punched in your face. Yeah. But yeah, that's a really good question though. I ask myself that 
all the time. I don't. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the the piece that you did that's titled Tender Being, because it's the most whimsical, cutest little <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Did that just come out of you? Did, is there anything behind it? That is literally what came out of me. And I had like a weekend to make it. I had like two days to make it before it was due. And like, that is just like what I plowed through and (laughs) what came out. And it's like this big chunky guy, this like four-legged creature that has like a bunch of spouts that hold flowers and like these kind of like ocean barnacle vibes but its skin kind of looks like elephant skin and it doesn't have a face um it's supposed to represent not having your senses but Hmm. just because you don't have your senses the flowers is supposed to be like an offering and it's like you know you might not be able to hear see or smell but like you can still give if that makes any sense Yeah. yeah When I look at it, I can't help but smile and feel soft. Like that's just what it brings out of me. I'm like, it is a tender being. And I remember watching your process when you would put up just like little snaps of, of building this guy. And my goodness, he is a tender being. <laughs> and it's really funny because um, I built it before I was like educated enough to build it. Like when you build a ceramic piece that's that size, it's supposed to have like a skeleton on the inside. There should be like a wall, like two walls in the body so it doesn't collapse. And I didn't know that. I just, I built it in two days and then I learned that. Like when I put it in the kiln, everybody was like, oh, was like, what'd you do for the inside of it? And I was like, <laughs> nothing and the top boat seemed pretty heavy so everyone was like that's not coming out of the kiln because everything breaks so easy anyway but it came out I was like who are you yeah (laughs) what is this why didn't you collapse like it doesn't make any sense why you didn't explode because he's a giver he's just too tender to collapse (laughs) um here's another question that comes to mind in something that I you know could have probably done some research on but within your culture what is like the the view of the universe or the view of reality and I know that's probably a very loaded huge question with a lot of details that are probably yeah and it's definitely a question I don't know all the the answers Mm. to right but it's just like everything is connected and it's ongoing like when people pass away people are like you know so and so is making their journey to the spirit world. And I just, what I take from it is just kind of like, I don't really know how to put it into words, but like, you're just always surrounded by your ancestors, you know, and Mm -hmm. things just kind of keep going and, and there's comfort in that. But like, I definitely don't think they believe like you die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's not a thing at all. Like, I think it's very, um, spiritual and I think it has a lot to do with the land and just taking what you need and mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I I know a little a very small amount around like the idea of like a justice system or corrections within mm-hmm. um, indigenous cultures is there I mean I think they do talking circles a lot which is like yeah, yeah rare I guess but like a lot of time I think if there's like two indigenous families going to court they have the option. Well, I don't really know. I didn't really go to court. It's just like something I heard where you can like both parties and families can like be in a talking circle and there's a talking stick and you, which I think is like really cool is to just 
sit face forward and like face it mm-hmm. and face it with people you love, like, and then just work through it. But even that speaks to like, you know, maybe someone isn't ba- like bad or a hero. It's like people just really listening to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the society we live in now is like, we don't, we don't really listen to each other as much yeah. as we should. And I think to be a human is we're quite the like forgiving species actually. Mm-hmm. And the sad part is, is like a lot of people, maybe they're not even healthy enough or educated enough to like apologize, yeah. which seems like a simple gesture, but like some people aren't wired to say sorry when a sorry is needed. And yeah, we all just kind of suffer from yeah. that mindset. Oh man. I've been like, interestingly, like semi connecting with my my father over the last few years and just coming to the recognition that he's, he's not someone who's going to take accountability in the way my soul wishes he would, if that makes sense. And just trying, trying to understand that there's a reason for that. that It's not necessarily a complete choice on his behalf for what the way he's showing up. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. And I remember this is like (sighs) some internet meme. So I deeply apologize if this is not... (laughs) (laughs) Tell me meme. Yeah. So, I mean, meme, meme-esque. It's a, a picture of, and again, I don't even know what country, but a certain culture within Africa. And they, they talk about how um, in that specific community or with those specific people, when someone does something wrong, breaks the law, hurts someone else, they don't ostracize them or punish them. They surround them with people that love them and they remind them that they're good. Yeah, I seen that one too, actually. And you're like, doesn't that just make it well? <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, right? It it makes sense. And like when I was speaking with the the spiritual care coordinator on on the last episode I recorded, he was he had worked in an Albertan correctional facility for a long time, and he was just speaking to like, we're doing it wrong. Like every way that we're trying to quote unquote fix people, we're doing it completely wrong. And mm-hmm. yeah, just even like he was saying, the number of um, indigenous men that were incarcerated for addiction. Mm-hmm. And he's like, how is this going to, how does this help? This doesn't help anyone. For sure. Right. So you're not getting to the root of the problem. Mm-mm. Well, and to get to the root of the problem would mean our government would have to look at itself and our, our history as, as white people on this land, we'd have to look at ourselves and really come to terms with how it was created. Yeah. Here's hoping. Yeah, here's to hoping. I just, I, I, you, you feel helpless around it, but you do what you can. And it's interesting, even like just talking with you, I'm realizing that there's a lot more I could be doing in terms of where I could be putting my energy. Like I, There's n- really nothing holding me back from going to, to the island and being a part of what's happening over there right now. So. Mm-hmm. I've got things to think about in terms of how I'm showing up. And I know that I've got the the platform, but I think that there's Mm -hmm. still more I could be doing. It's hard to to like balance that without trying to like put the weight of the world on your shoulders and make it all your issue. (laughs) I know like it's, there's just, it's so easy to feel, feel guilty. And I've been feeling that about the residential school stuff lately, because like I said, for some reason, it just made me feel really quiet. And sometimes I'm really loud. But even today before, like right before the podcast, I was like, 
that is that actually isn't my weight to carry because I'm indigenous. Like I can heal and process this however I as an individual need to do instead of feeling guilty because it's really society and like the people around me and but yeah I get it it's just like it's so easy to feel heavy and and guilty and sometimes I just look at one thing and I'm like you know if I care and donate to Palestine then why don't I care about Colombia like look at what happened in Colombia and then it's like there's one indigenous problem on the east coast but then look at the west and then I'm like oh but like I did say something about it but maybe I'm not saying enough and then I end up deleting my social media because now I'm just like freaking out in a tip and I'm uncomfortable and it's just funny the vortexes like we allow ourselves to go into and it's hard to just like break away and be like, you know what? Like, I think this means I'm not feeling well. (laughs) And I need to just start thinking about what is the good medicine for me and what I need to do to like go from point A to point B. And I like, fuck what people think of me. Like I've had people judge my character my whole entire life. And if you think less of me because I'm not doing your idea of what it's like to be a sovereign indigenous person. That's not my problem because, (laughs) you know, I live it, I breathe it, I've experienced it. And it's just like, we all have different ways of like processing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I think I say this on every podcast episode, but there's a a quote within Buddhism of tend to the part of the garden you can touch. Yeah. Because if you're you're trying to tend to the whole garden, you're getting nothing done. So right. Yeah. And even that's what change is brewing is to me. It's like we're just trying like just to the immediate communities around because and even that's really hard. Like once you find out about one avenue, there's like another you can take. And how do you choose? And it's like, yeah, you just want to give like a piece to everybody and to like help everybody and to create this legacy but that's like a good guilt to have I feel like that's a healthy guilt to have where you're like (laughs) I just like now I kind of I'm learning how to help people but like oh I'm not helping enough fast enough but it's like all these things take time like Mm -hmm. all these things take time we should really just be reasonable with ourselves yeah compassionate if you're going to be compassionate to the rest of the world you should definitely offer yourself the same same love right and that that's really hard for people but I want to now take what you were just speaking about changes brewing can you talk a little bit more about kind of the projects you guys have going on um like just how that program or organization is working so it's a community interest group um for the first year pretty much almost the first year of us getting together we just didn't we didn't know what we were doing we didn't know if we were like non-for-profit whatever anywho so we we were donating like everything we had um to the black community but now we're a community interest group where 60 percent of the um the proceeds go into the community and 40 is for us and basically it's we're trying we're like linking BIPOC folk to employment um, when you think of, and all of this is like, we, we're, our mindset is like a Halifax mindset. We're surrounded by craft breweries. It's like a huge 
industry makes, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but there's like no, there's not that much representation in it. So what we normally do is we pair up with a brewery and we collab, we like go in, we meet them, we put our little BIPOC bodies inside we're like we're here we're making space we think of um like a recipe and then we go in and we brew it and then me or my friend amber create the can label and then we have a launch party but um sometimes there's like a history behind the the beer that we make like we had uh like a two crow not two crows uh a boxing rock beer called back to birchtown and it was kind of about shelburne and the black settlement there and what transpired there we try to like as strange as it sounds like tell history about these communities through beer and then we take because we're just doing what we know best which is like beer like we're brewers or bartenders this is what we're doing and then yeah and then we just put it back in the community and we do like brew 101s so we teach um adults like how to brew if they're interested and we also do brew 101s with kids except for we make like carbonated tea so then they can like invent their little own drink and come up with the name and like it's just like we're really trying to encourage um employment and and break down barriers and just know that like, you know, you don't have to like science to like, you don't have to be a brewer to be in the industry. Like you can be an artist, you can be in marketing. There's tons of like things you can take. And we live in a really rough place where like rent is just like, Mm -hmm. it's like unlivable. Like the people that are here, you know, that they're here because they love it. Yeah, because they didn't go to Toronto and they didn't go to Montreal. Like if you're here, like you're you're going through some shit and you're you are sticking it out. Like you just like want to be in Nova Scotia, you know? And yeah, um, yeah, we're just trying to like encourage people to like make money, <laughs> like yeah. get in there and like you should go to a place and feel welcomed. You know, like I don't see anywhere in this city that celebrates Mi'kmaq culture except for like the Friendship Center on Gottingen. Unless I'm walking by that, I don't see diddly shit, and it's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I've been having a hard time. Uh, getting people to make an indigenous beer. It's something I couldn't even put in. I don't even know where to start because it upsets a lot of people and understandably so. And all, all types of things start to come into play when I was like trying to release an indigenous beer for the fishermen. I want to make um, something because we always have like a write up on our cans about like what, whatever it is and I just want to like make a beer that's reminding people what's happening um Mm -hmm. to the indigenous fishermen but it's just so much pullback like it's going on a year since I've tried I've been trying to do this and you hear a lot from like we've made a lot of connections with like the indigenous brew crew and um, an indigenous owned brewery in Quebec. And we talk to a lot of people and a lot of people that have the experiences like, well, you know, don't use the language, don't use imagery and don't use um, medicinal ingredients. So it's, mm. it's just hard to think I want to make this beer and I want to like really represent Mi'kmaq culture, but it feels like it's an, it's inappropriate because of alcoholism within the indigenous community. 
And there's just so much to say about that. I don't even know how to unpack it, but you just start thinking about representation and who has the freedom to do so and what, like, is it really freedom? So like, I, I am making a beer. I'm, I'm making a cider actually, but mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, to be honest, it's not going to look or sound how I wish it would. Yeah. Yeah. But um, maybe that's something I ease into or mm-hmm. slowly, you know what I mean? You think like, I thought we were kind of behind the times and then I realized I was qu- quite ahead of it and it's pretty problematic. And have you heard of um, Chief Ladybird? I've heard the name. I could not recall from where. So Chief Ladybird made... Chief Ladybird's not even in the brewery industry, you know, like she's not a server. She doesn't brew. She's an artist. And she made this really beautiful label for um, this big project for missing and murdered indigenous women, where it was like, I think it, well, I don't want to say that started at the brewery if I don't know. I thought it was Orleans Brewery. Anywho, um, pretty sure this fella named Eric oh his last name is escaping me I'm so sorry but um he was a part of this project and got like 40 other breweries on board which is like crazy so like a bunch of people were like we've got this recipe we're gonna do this and we're gonna take like a bunch of money and donate it to like the missing and murdered indigenous like Mm -hmm. fund but the interesting thing about that with Cheap Ladybird is, you know, she just made this beautiful image, this artwork to go on the can, and you wouldn't believe the backlash. Um, just nine days of, like, lateral violence. Um, just mm-hmm. people that were so, so upset. And it seemed like it really affected her, you know? And the weird thing about that is when I woke up to it like all of these messages of people sending me what was happening with that project I was like holy shit like that was supposed to be me yeah (laughs) but I couldn't do it fast enough but really that was that was supposed to be me so then I had to sit in a place the funny thing is is like um I listened to a really cool podcast that she was on um media indigena you guys should have a listen. They're amazing. I listen to them every single day. I'm obsessed, Mm -hmm. but um, they're, I think it's like opening up a can of controversy that she's on and she expected it to some degree, but still from what I took to it. Yeah. She just thought there was like going to be like a bit of freedom, but I knew that's how that was going to go. Like I knew it was going to go very badly. So now I feel like even more than ever, I'm just like, well, if she did it and she went through that, then like now is my time that I really have to echo mm-hmm. her and my indigenous brewers who are like, you know, in the industry and like doing all these crazy things. And like, it's just wild. The thing with indigenous people is like no matter what they do whether you make art whether you make jewelry shirts whatever it's like they always give back Mm -hmm. like they're always the ones just helping their own and like it's just sad that like we start to it's really a conversation about traditional and non-traditional and maybe if you're not traditional then you kind of feel like you're not good enough yeah kind of like being like pushed away from 
Yeah, for sure. And it's like, it's hard because like, even growing up on reserve, like I was just so encouraged to embrace it. And then you get to this age or like this point in your life, whether it's art or like, maybe you're a part of this group and you can make a beer, but then you're like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And, and I keep hearing like, you can't use the language because it's traditional, but it's like, I've said some pretty crude shit in English like English isn't traditional. Like you can't, I don't know if you can say a language is traditional, Yeah, you know? And then it's just like a whole nother umbrella, my friend, that like, I'm sure you could have a hundred hour podcast on about like who can say what and when and about what. Yeah. As someone who has no idea, like kind of like what, what you go through in that realm, it's interesting to hear like the idea that it's a traditional language, but it's, it's your traditional language so it's confusing but I also understand that I just don't know the depth of what's going on for sure and I'm white passing so it's just like it's tough you're like uh (laughs) it's like yeah you know what I mean like what like you know that's a part of it too for sure like I'm very privileged and you know what I mean Mm -hmm. there's just nothing worse than upsetting your own yeah you're like no I'm trying to help you like I want you to drink my beer and like feel fierce but it's like you know if you're just upsetting your own and that's the thing it's like I I like dipped into communities I've made phone calls I've made a lot of Facebook messages and everybody's just different because everybody's different Mm -hmm. like there's always going to be people that are into it and there's always going to be people that aren't into it Mm-hmm. And there was like months that went by where I was like, you know what, I'm not doing it. But then I realized I wasn't doing it was because I was scared. Yeah. And that didn't sit well with me. I was like, so I don't want to do this like project that I've been dreaming about because I'm like one of the first ones to like break through the wall. Like, of course, I'm going to get hit the hardest. Yeah. Nothing is easy. And that's what is so hard to do. It's like, this is history. Mm-hmm. Geo in, in Changes Brewing is the first Black brewer in Nova Scotia. Yeah. It's 2021. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's just, I want to just like kind of make some space to to recognize how how brave and like bold that is. And this is another reason why I look to you as one of the people that really inspires me in my life is because you're like, as much as you're like walking towards it with, with caution, which is completely understandable. You're still doing it. Yeah. And it's hard. Like it's a roller coaster. And I know for a fact that I am going to think about it for the rest of my life. I might be 50 and I'm like, holy shit. I can't believe I did it. (laughs) But it's like, I think, you know, I'm, then I might be 51 and be like, no, like I was a bad bitch. Like that's what my community raised me to do. They raised me to be a bad little bitch, to open my mouth, to represent my culture, to like ring it in. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just can't help but think like, we're all just drinking white men's beer. Mostly Mm -hmm. they're all making money. Yeah. It's like the stereotype of the drunken Indian that you're saying a Indian can't even have a fucking beer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I like beer. Like, I have a beer once or twice a week. Like, I should have representation. And it's like, it's not just that. It's with everything. Like, everywhere I go in Nova Scotia, I should see Mi'kmaq representation 
period. Those bathroom stalls on like restaurant doors, those should be in Mi'kmaq. The menu should be in Mi'kmaq. Every, like everything should be Mi'kmaq, but it's like, it's just hard. It's like always, it's always your responsibility, right? And to like carry the weight and there's just so much guilt and there's nothing worse than thinking, holy shit, I might be bringing shame to Millbrook, <laughs> like to the people, to Mi'kmaq people. And like, not just that, but like everybody that's familiar with me and helped raise me. But mm-hmm. I don't know, like they implanted this fire in me and I want to break the barrier and bridge the gap and like with alcoholism, because it's really the root. You have to look at the root of these problems and why people drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also just can't put them yeah, in a box, because a lot of Indigenous people feel guilty. You get to university and you're like, oh, I, I don't I don't know if I should have a beer. And then people that like call me out for being like, well, you don't look very Native. But then I have a beer and my cheeks get rosy and they're like, there it is. It's like, you know what I mean? There's like all these ideas behind it. And I grew up in a house with addiction like that's what kind of drives me to be like the person that I am. It doesn't mean like I'm like this crazy party girl that like is money hungry. It's like, you know, that was my job. I noticed there wasn't representation in the industry. I only know two indigenous people in all of Halifax that work in the industry. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. of course there should be representation. And the hard thing is, is like, we've raised over like 40 grand for the black community and everyone is so supportive and it's beautiful. And I love the excitement and we get a pat on the back, but like nobody wants to touch it for indigenous people. And that's like indigenous everything. Yeah. If you're aware of it, you just feel like you're on the bottom and you know, and you feel like you have these hurdles, not saying that the black community doesn't, we know that they do. And I've, I've experienced that through changes brewing as well, for sure. But it it just bums me out because people, and I do believe for settler people, it kind of comes for some, it comes out of like a, this politeness. Like they're like, well, I don't, I don't think I should be upsetting. I don't want to be a part of that. Like, mm-hmm. but if you do it for other people, yeah. you can't, exclude indigenous people (laughs) it's like it's super wild to me like you can't you're literally saying this one group of people doesn't belong and we do because Mm -hmm. this is our land and you're making money on our land and we want a piece of that money boo (laughs) like like we're hungry I'm hungry like feed me this city's like our rent has increased by like two three times in the pandemic So it's like, you know, we're just trying to, we're trying to survive, whether you see it as assimilation or see it as us putting on your shoes and wanting to run farther. Mm -hmm. Um, For Indigenous people on the East Coast, this is the start of it. Mm -hmm. And maybe, who knows, 10, 20 years, there might be an Indigenous brewery here. And I like to think, you know, a Glode would have possibly been attached to the beginning of that history because... Yeah, we are making history. It's hard. It's awkward. It takes a lot of research and you don't know if you're ever doing 
the proper thing, but it's like, you know, I just, I want to try because it feels right. I know in my head, in my heart and in my gut that my intentions aren't ill. Yeah. And I have to tell myself that every day. I'm like, I'm not a piece of shit. (laughs) I'm like trying. Yeah. It's empowering. Yeah. And that's how I was raised to like be empowered. And then you try to do something and it's like, yo, hold up little girl. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting whenever I work with people in, in like the, the mind body coaching, whenever we come across guilt and shame, I always ask them to just like close their eyes and recognize like what version of themselves is holding that. And it's always a child. It's always a young child version. And we just work to, to put it down because guilt and shame has fucking no, no purpose remorse remorse has purpose when it's needed say you murdered someone remorse is very important here but guilt and shame don't serve anyone and it's interesting how it seems to be consistently handed to indigenous cultures yeah and then you think about alcoholism and where that came from and and that is why it, it this is hard is because it's it is a colonial problem there's nothing we can do to change history that's a fact and that's why it's so hard is because like this was introduced to us and it's like it's a white man's problem right and nobody wants to be a part of it but it's like beer isn't going anywhere it's yeah. not white people aren't going anywhere like we we're all in this together this is the society we're living in and I just see it as like if there's no space for me then I'm going to try to carve out space for me and I'm going to try to carve out space for my niece and nephews and Mm -hmm. people from where I'm from because they deserve it and they deserve to get a paycheck and like go home and yeah, guilt and shame. It's like what Indigenous people go through is like, it really is never ending. Yeah. I hope it's ending. <laughs> yeah, right. I hope, it, I hope it's ending. Yeah. Yeah. And even if that doesn't come by way of the government, I hope it, it comes and I hope it comes with a lot of fury. <laughs> yeah, me too. And that, and, but that's like the sad thing too, right? Is like that just, that's work for Indigenous people, right? Mm hmm. Mm. it's like the same with all these movements it's like it really is a minority Mm -hmm. putting their life on hold and like working so hard to try to like make waves and yeah it has to be done and and it's just it's it's beautiful that people do it but it can be exhausting for sure like Mm -hmm. just taking on that work all of the time Mm -hmm. by yourself because sometimes it is just easier to tap out Yeah. When I worked for the University of Northern BC and there was this big mine breach uh, at a place called Mount Polly and it was impacting the uh, Quinell River moving through um, indigenous fishing grounds. Mm -hmm. And one of the women that would come and kind of speak at the community meetings and was working on behalf of the band out there, uh, she's indigenous and the most brilliant speaker that I've ever heard mm-hmm. the way that she articulated and, and spoke on behalf of her community was amazing but is interesting seeing still like the pain of the community in like someone might show up and they had an issue or they have problems with alcohol and they would just kind of start yelling and interrupting her mm-hmm. but it was interesting because it was from her own community mm-hmm. but just that was my first look at like okay 
the, the, the power that she had and the empowerment that she had, and then seeing just kind of almost being shamed mm-hmm. for speaking um, it, it was just a really confusing experience as someone who had just never, never seen it, but also to witness her power and her um, strength in defending her, her culture. And even the way she, she handled him doing that was with like absolute grace and dignity. Mm-hmm. And not, not that that is in any way surprising, but it was just interesting seeing the hurdles that she was had to overcome. Yeah. And yeah. And the way the mine and the company and the, the company that they hired to represent them, the way they dismissed her, the way they didn't even answer the questions she asked, it was like, fuck this whole place. And then I still worked for the government after that. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> Get me the hell out of here. I, I think that when I win and if I go back to environmental work, it's going to be within um, or an organization that's closely tied to indigenous people, for sure. If I can get in, if I can, if there's space for me to be within that, that's Mm -hmm. where I would rather be. Um, If people want to help out with changes brewing or people want to help out in, in any way, just in terms of contributing to indigenous art, indigenous culture, or the, the organization of changes brewing, how can, how can they do that? Um, you can find us on Instagram because our projects are always changing. There's, um, we're always donating to different groups. So look us up on Instagram at Changes Brewing Co. You can find tons of stuff there. At the moment, specifically, we have um, a cake with delectable desserts. I guess this is just for Nova Scotians because you can't ship a cake anywhere. <laughs> but like you can get the cake and um, the proceeds will go back into the like youth in the community. We we haven't found a group yet, but like we're going to, it's not like it's going to be hard to find. But also I think a good place that you could donate to is um, you can find them on Instagram. I think they have like a link as the Treaty Truck House. Um, and that's down in, in Digby and yeah, so that's like a good way. Um, I don't know if they deal with like um, buying things for the equipment and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, and there's always like the Mi'kmaq Friendship Center. If you want to, you can donate there. But there's always, you would just go on Instagram and look up like what's happening out in BC. And like, obviously there's heaps that you can donate to them. You just really have to like give a quick search. And there's just... <laughs> monopolies of like people who need money um Mm -hmm. all across canada because there is an attack on indigenous people yeah and people make it really easy to donate so you just have to like look up some of this stuff um i'm a fan of mike graham he's a photographer out in bc i actually went to school with his sister but um he just photographs everything and like i think he makes things really transparent and um, yeah, I wonder if he has like links to donate to and all that stuff, but there's all kinds of people you can follow. I think you just gotta go, gotta go on the internet. It's there. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and with your ceramics and the store that's coming forward, um, just kind of thinking about like what, what people can find there. They're like pipes and, and mugs. Like what kind of things are you thinking will be in the, in the shop? I will have dishware for sure. And I'll have vases and I will have pipes. Yeah. They <laughs> literally like all those things you just said, but awesome. Yeah. Just little tiny sculptures and mostly, um, functional wear pretty much, but yeah, there would definitely be some smoking pipes. 
<laughs> this could be Good. really squeeze. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So thank you just from the absolute bottom of my heart. I love you beyond words. My pleasure. It's so nice to see your face. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I can get home soon and come for a visit and have a beer and enjoy, enjoy your presence, your amazing presence. Mm-hmm. So check Jamie out on Instagram at Globe Ceramics, <laughs> G-L-O-W-D there'll be just a photo on my Instagram uh, and on the the podcast Instagram. We'll try to include some, some of her work and yeah, definitely check her out. Definitely support changes brewing. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on again. I just, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for giving me time and space for sure. Oh my God. Anytime we'll have to do it again. Cause I think that we barely touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of things that we could have mm-hmm. talked about today. Yeah. Anytime, let me know.